This is Pastor Mike, and I want to welcome you to the Life Fellowship Podcast. I know that the trials of each of you experience can often feel overwhelming, and at those times, the enemy tries to bring discouragement into your life. Remember that in John 16, Jesus tells us to be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. Today, as you listen, I pray that God's word ministers to you and that the power of the Holy Spirit deposits joy and peace into your situation. Good morning. Look at your neighbor and say, you're beautiful. That's pathetic. Some of you men sitting next to your wife can't do better than that. It's nice to have people notice when you look good. This is a good-looking congregation. Look at each other and tell each other that you look good this morning. I didn't say lie. I mean, just being alive today and breathing looks good. Amen? How many have had one of those weeks? Just being alive and it just feels good, right, to hear somebody say you look good. Can you stand with me one more time? What a wonderful time of worship, man. Was the presence of the Lord is in this place, is he not? His presence is here. For those of you that are new, congratulations. You have found the best church on the block. And uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy coming and speaking. If you're new now, this is the way it's got to work for me. When pastor comes back and asks you how I did, you just tell him I did good, okay? Because... No matter what I do, just tell them I did good because I like coming here, all right? So don't ruin it for me. But uh, I think Pastor Mike and Stephanie are doing a wonderful job here, and they're, they're just a joy to be around and to have in Texas. And your youth pastors are killing it. You guys are doing great. Look at this. You guys, listen, everyone references young people because we're just jealous, okay? So don't, don't get offended, all right? We're just jealous that you can go with no sleep and still look good. Okay, so don't get worried about that in church when people notice you, but they're doing a wonderful job. And I want to go with you to Acts chapter 13, verse 12, excuse me, verse 21. They'll have it on the screen if you can find it on your phone. Um, I got to tell you something. You know, I have I, people complain, and I don't know why they complain. I have been stuck in airports before and pulled out the U version and done some amazing Bible study and reading on my phone. So, so if you have that, just open up to Acts chapter, 20, Acts chapter 13, verse 21. Uh, you should feel lucky. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, aren't we lucky? I'm breaking out a new one on you today. So if it's no good, you can send your letters to Bishop Toby Morgan. No, I'm just teasing. Don't send him anything. He found out I was coming. He wanted me to greet you and say hello. Bishop Morgan, our state overseer, we love him very much. Today I want to talk to you about the cities of David. And on our way here and, and throughout the weekend, Jen was like, well, what, what should I sing? What do you want me to sing? And I said, please sing Dream On. And she's like, well, I, I don't know. I might have sung that there before. And I said, sing it again. How many of you know sometimes you've got to hear a message a few times? And I know that, that some of you in this congregation are sitting there listening to that song and saying, that song goes way back. But there's some importance in that message of that song that I want to I have it uh, just kind of cooperate with my message today. I want to talk to you today about the cities of David. The cities of David. The six cities of David. Have you ever had God give you a word or speak something into your life only to lose it because life beat you up? 
Anybody? Have you ever had God speak something to you at the midnight hour in a season of your life and confusion has come or it didn't quite work out? How many of you have ever had God speak something in your life and you think, well, this is how it has to operate. This is how it has to go. This is the way it will unfold. And then none of that happens. And then years later, you end up in the very spot God told you and you look back and go, ah, I get it now. Now I get it. Now I understand. In Acts chapter 13, verse 21, Paul is giving an eloquent reading, an eloquent preaching to leaders in Jerusalem. And he says this, Then they requested a king, and God gave them Saul. He's giving the history of Israel. Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. When he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified, saying, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will fulfill my entire will. Father, bless your word today. Bless this time together and bless this congregation. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's working while you're waiting. He's working while you're waiting. You may be seated. Waiting is never easy. It's even more complicated now with Amazon Prime. Can I get a witness? If it says two days, we expect it what? In two days. If it's three days past, you go, hmm, Amazon, you're slipping a little. But if you're like me and you travel a little bit, and we just got back from a mission trip a few months ago from Scotland, and I found some of the, these mints. Isn't it pathetic what candy does to us? And I found these mints, and I thought, man, I want some of those mints. Dalton, they were on Amazon Prime. And in two days, I got mints from Scotland at my front door. We don't know how to wait in America. Waiting is not what we do. But I want you to understand, David is a perfect person for us to look at in the Old Testament as believers. Because David had had a word spoke over him when he was a child that did not come to pass for many, many years. And so today I want to take a journey to Jerusalem through the cities of David. And I want you to follow along with me. As I said, waiting's not easy. Like the old man who was dying. Now I get it, death's never funny, but this is kind of funny. Death's doorway, he suddenly smelt the aroma of his favorite chocolate chip cookie. Can we just stop and thank God for chocolate chip cookies? Thank you, Father. I love the feeling of smelling them and eating them. Not so much the feeling afterwards, right? The sugar coma does not feel good. He suddenly smelt the aroma of these cookies coming up the stairways as he lay in his deathbed. Wanting one last cookie, he gathered his strength, lifted himself out of the bed, leaning against the wall. He slowly made his way out of the bedroom, down the stairs, and with great effort, he forced himself up to the table. With labored breath, he leaned over the table, gazing into all of that beautiful chocolate chip cookies that were laid out on the table. Were it not for death's door, he would have thought himself already in heaven because there spread out on the table in newspapers were literally hundreds of his favorite chocolate chip cookies. Was it heaven, he asked, or was this one final act of heroic love from his devoted wife seeing to it that he left this world a happy man? Getting one more great final effort of strength, he threw himself on the table 
The aged and withered hand shaking made its way to the cookie at the edge of the table when it was suddenly smacked with a spatula. And his wife screamed, stay out of those. They're for the funeral. You know, when you wait, waiting can get you in trouble if you're impatient. You'll get it when you get home. Somebody look at, I don't get it. Whose funeral? Just, just, just think about it. David is, is going through this lifetime journey, and I'm trying to abbreviate a lifetime in just a few short minutes. Don't worry, I have my timer. You'll get to Whataburger on time. And the first city that we come to when we study the life of David is the city of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the city of beginnings. It's the city that most believers skip. Most believers skip right to being filled with the Holy Spirit and skip the joy of tithing and giving and attending church and doing the basic things. Oh, they got quiet. See, Bethlehem was where David was born. It's a small farming town. Like many of us, David grows up in a tiny world. Can I tell you something? We are separated too much by geography when the truth is, whatever world that we grow up in becomes tiny to us. If you're born in Brooklyn, New York, after a while, a lot of people will tell you, I feel like I'm suffocating because they're surrounded by a tiny world that they know. If you grow up out in the country, you got to get out of the country. I got to go somewhere where stuff happens. Why? Because I'm surrounded by what I know. He was growing up in a small, insignificant town called Bethlehem that we now know is no longer insignificant. Amen? And the first thing that we learn about David, the first principle David had to learn is the same thing you and I have to learn. You have to learn to be faithful in the natural before you ever get blessed by the spiritual. See, in a Pentecostal church, which I adore, I, I sometimes feel like in order to clarify, I have to talk like Paul. I speak in tongues more than you all. I get in trouble at the cash register if the Lord blesses me. I don't, did you say a nickel? I don't, you know, and, I'm, and then I am blessed. I believe in Pentecost. I believe in the spiritual. But it's amazing how God, through Acts, if you study the scripture, you can't have one without the other. You can't be so spiritual that you're no earthly good, and you can't be so earthly that you're no spiritually good. But how many of you know God can speak whatever he wants in your life, but unless you obey in the natural, it's not going to come to pass. You see, David, here in this city, in the place of Jerusalem, the place of small beginnings, which you and I often overlook, is the place where David learned to be a worshiper. David learned to play a harp in Bethlehem. David would sit on the backside of the country. He wouldn't have anybody to sarcastically say, oh, that's awful, that doesn't sound good. He didn't have anybody back there. It was just him and the Lord. And I could just see him learning his harp as he would begin to write psalms. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide. And he would learn to play the harp. You have to learn to be a worshiper. Mm. And when I say that, I don't mean just come to church and let the worship band show you. I mean when you're sitting in your car and you feel the presence of Almighty God sweep up in, you, take, you, you put it in park, you take your hands off the wheel, and you begin to just worship. We don't have worship services in church. 
We don't have worship services. And what I mean by worship service is that moment where everyone in the room feels like if I breathe at this moment, God might walk out of here and we're just quiet and we're focused on him because worship is that innermost place of the tabernacle. It's the place where his presence dwells. And when you leave a place of worship, you leave a place of worship always better than when you came in. He learned to be a worshiper there. He learned to be a warrior. A lot of people just skip to the David and Goliath. How does a guy learn how to use a slingshot like that? Oh, I tried. Yeah, some of you say, well, this guy's from New England. Yeah, but I grew up with dairy farmers. And the best gift I ever got was that fake slingshot. And how many of you know my poor sister? This is the best target I could find. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I tried and tried and tried. Never conquered the slingshot. Never got it down. I was always, always off. In Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, he tells us, listen to this. It takes 10,000 hours to master a subject. David learned to use the slingshot on the bear and the lion before he ever got to the giant. If you don't learn to use the weapons of God that he has placed at your disposal to fight the bears and the lions, you'll never know the joy of conquering the great giants in your life. If you can't attend church, don't expect to be preaching at it. I just come and make y'all awkward. I got to go see my mom in Florida, so you can't find me after I leave today. I'll be gone. I'm gone. But we too often in the church as believers, we want to skip the little things. We want to go straight to, God, just give it all to me right now. He became a shepherd here. There's a great book out that says Lead Like a Shepherd, and it's all about how you lead men, and it's based off of David being a shepherd. David learned how to be a shepherd, and being a shepherd taught him how to be a leader. It taught him how to motivate a crowd, a group of people, to go one way or to go the other. It taught him how to fight the enemy when the enemy comes in and wants to destroy your flock, that you must have courage and fight the enemy. David learned to be a leader. See, too often we want to skip. We want to skip the beginning. We want to skip where God is saying, no, you're going to learn this. No, you're going to memorize the scripture. When I was younger, I just wanted to preach. I had several embarrassing moments because I did not take the time to say, oh, I need to get in the word first before I preach. No, I got to preach. No, God taught me many times, unless you've been in the word, you can't just get up and preach. You have to do the first things first. And you have to be faithful to graduate from Bethlehem. See, Bethlehem is a place of, of obscurity for David. David is such an obscure person that when Samuel shows up, his own father doesn't even invite him to the party. Jesse knows that Samuel is here to anoint a king from one of his sons. But the only sons Jesse brings in are the ones that are the warriors already. They're the fighters already. They're the good-looking ones already. They're tall. They're ahead, above everybody else. He doesn't even consider the shepherd. 
I don't know who you are in this morning. You might be at your beginning starting place with God and he's spoken to you and he's put seeds and dreams into your life that one day he's going to use you to do this. I just want to come by and tell you, you may feel like you're living in obscurity. You may feel like people around you don't recognize you, but my God knows the hairs on your head and he knows where you are and if he could speak to you, he'll bring it to pass. You know, the other lesson that David learned here was he learned how to be rejected. In that lesson, we understand that he was rejected. And yet you never find any place in scripture where he got revenge. He learned how to be rejected and to let it go. It reminds me of a savior who was despised and rejected of all men. They wouldn't look upon him. But yet he dragged his old rugged cross up that hill one day. They didn't laugh at him. They took his clothes from him. They mocked him. They put him on a tree. They watched him die a horrible death. But what they didn't know was the obscure man from Galilee one day, just three days from now, is going to open that tomb and he's going to come out and suddenly we'll have resurrection power. You have to get okay with being rejected by the world. Young people, listen to me. You may have talents, but I beg you, don't give it to American Idol. Uh, that's it. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not beating up on American Idol. There's good Christian people that have gone there. They've come out. I, I'm not beating up on it. But I'm here to tell some of you that God has given you a talent that he wants to use for the kingdom. And you've got to get used to being rejected. You've got to get used to being rejected. The second city we see is Gibeah. This is the city of exposure. You ever take, you remember the Polaroids? You, you, you guys might know because my wife's like her, what was that gift you had me buy? Like, she keeps me young. I don't know anything. She keeps me young. It was some, do you know Polaroids are back? But they're not, they're called Kodaks, right? The little, huh? Just shout it out anytime. We, we don't, yeah, they're still Polaroids. Do you remember taking a Polaroid? And do you remember this? Oh, Lord, he still doesn't have a head. It's like my grandmother traveling Europe one time. She took so many pictures and came back and realized after she had them all developed, she only took pictures of people's feet. Here's my feet at the Swiss Alps. Here's my feet in Germany. I mean, it was just embarrassing. But we used to take, and the exposure of that film would bring out the details of your picture. See, 1 Samuel 16, 21, David moves on from Bethlehem to Gibeah. David comes before Saul. The Bible says, so David came to Saul, stood before him, and he loved him greatly and became his armor bearer. Now, when you go to study this, you study and understand that, David, that Saul was tormented by a demon. And every time the demon would come in, Saul said, get me somebody to play some worship music that glorifies God so I can find some peace. And they found David. Isn't that funny? The very thing that causes David to end up in the palace is the very thing that everyone overlooked back in Bethlehem. Oh, I feel like preaching now all of a sudden. You see, the very things that this world overlooks is the very things that God is trying to work and mold and put in you so that one day you'll have entrance to the palace. He was exposed to royalty. I remember being young and being a pastor's kid and not having any money. And all we had was potatoes. 
And my mom would make potato soup on Christmas Eve. Now, that's no poor man's food. You don't get thick like this, I mean, by eating salad. You, you, you get thick like this by eating potato soup. Somebody say amen. You put enough cheese in potatoes, you put enough cheese in grits, and it all tastes good. Am I right? Praise God. I just realized I preached too much on food. Anyways, um, I remember, though, that my parents, they didn't have money. It's all they had. But you would walk into that living room, you would, you would smell something, and then you would go to the table of that little trailer by a church of God up in Lincoln, Maine. And you would sit down, and my mom, my mom put the silverware on the table like it was a palace. And she taught us how to eat from the outside in. And what you do if you're ever in that place of royalty. And it was so fun, and we thought we, thought we were rich. We were kids. We didn't know we were poor. And to this day, this Christmas Eve, we will all sit around a table and we will all have a bowl of potato soup reminding of us of how God, far God has brought us. But there was something my mother was doing. My mother was saying, you are not, you are not defined by the present circumstances. You've got to get it into your mind that your present circumstances don't limit you. And God brought David and put him in a palace so he could see how a kingdom works. So he could see how a king should work and he could see how a king shouldn't work. See, we all want to learn quick little lessons, but some of the greatest lessons I've learned is what not to do. Can, any, can somebody help me preach in this place? Have you ever realized that you've been put in a place and you thought, this is torture. Why, God, did you put me here? And then you come out of it and you go, okay, God showed me not to do this, not to do that. I'm not going to make that mistake. I'm going to learn from that right there. And all of a sudden, God has put David with Saul and is showing him what not to do. Hmm. Uh, did you remember that God had already told David he'd be a king? Has anybody in this, do you understand what I'm saying? David could go to bed at night and still smell that sweet oil that Samuel had put on him. And he'd wake up in the morning and go to the palace and see a demonic king do evil things. And think to himself, that's really, that's not how that should work. God sometimes will put you in a place so you can learn what not to do. The other thing God needs us to do is he needs to, he needs to find out from us if we'll be faithful with early promotion. David gets an early promotion. I'm always amazed at how some people come into money and forget God. Now, if you have money, I don't, I don't mean that offensively. I mean that as in I am proud to be your brother because you're still trusting in almighty God. But we all know that person that has decided, I've made it, now I don't need church. It's called being unfaithful with early promotion. See, David kept his humility. He was a faithful servant. And then all of a sudden, it all turns. And David finds himself in trouble. The other lesson to learn here at Gibeah is, never allow the applause of men to interfere with being a servant. You didn't amen me on that, but some of you have been more turned off to ministries that you've come in contact with because that person forgot that they were a servant. I do have the title bishop. I enjoy the title bishop, but God always put something in my heart years ago. Every place I go to, he's just 
widening my circle of influence and is teaching me to serve everywhere I go. When you lose the towel, you lose your connection to Christ. I'm going to preach that again. When you lose the towel, you lose your connection to Christ. Because Jesus, even though he knew that his disciple would betray him, still took the towel and still washed his feet. And Jesus was showing us in every circumstance there's no excuse not to be a servant. We need some more servants in the church today. Can, I, can you hear me? I truly believe that if there were more servants in the church, there'd be less seats available. That brings us to the very thought that I started with. All this time, David is being taught God is working while he's waiting. Then we come to the Valley of Elah. Some of you are doing math in your head thinking, oh, praise the Lord. He said six. He's almost done. The Valley of Elah in 1 Samuel 17, 57, Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I'm the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. See, this is called the Valley of Elah. Elah. It's called the Valley, but I'm going to make it a city today. Can you all go there with me? The Valley of Elah is where David faced the giant. And one. This served as a turning point in his life. It's the city of transition. See, David already knew in his heart that he was a warrior because he had fought the bear. He had fought the lion. He, he knew how to fight a battle. He wasn't afraid. He trusted in God. He just needed a moment where God would show everyone else how much he trusted in God. And all of a sudden, we come up on this story where David is hearing a filthy mouth giant making fun of Jehovah God and the tribe of Israel. And he declares, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Something rises up within him. I got news for some of you in this place. Fighting the giants in your life's not that hard when you still smell the sweet oil of anointing. Oh, somebody hear me. Fighting the giants in your life are not that hard when you could still remember that ceremony where the sweet power of the Holy Spirit overwhelmed your soul and suddenly you got power from on high that you never experienced before. Goliath struck fear into the entire army. David wasted no time in volunteering. Here's a few things for you. David showed absolute confidence in the power of God. David showed absolute confidence in the power of God. You might want to write that down. David showed absolute confidence in the power of God. You need a miracle. You need God to take care of some giants in your life. The next time you face them, face them with absolute confidence in the power of God. I know in whom I am believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What was the writer saying? The writer was saying, if he saved me and he redeemed me and he heals me and he brings me out and he's coming back for me, then I I have absolute confidence that this giant cannot stand in my way. Oh, some of you fathers, some of you mothers, you've got giants in your family. You've got giants in your family. You don't know what to do. There's new giants on the news every night. There's new giants in our schools every day. There's new giants that come around the corner. But there's no giant that comes around the corner that is still bigger than God. Almighty God still sits on the throne. And all you have to do is put your confidence in Him. Mm. 
Now I'm going to preach something right here to make, make us a little uncomfortable. Have faith and act. Don't yield to fear. I love people who say I have faith, but then they don't ever act. Faith without works is... I'm going to say that again. Faith without works is... I believe God's going to bless me. I refuse to bless him, though. I believe there's power in prayer. I haven't prayed in four months. I believe there's power in this word. Man, I haven't heard a good word from the Lord for myself, and I don't know when. You, you, you have to go back and show confidence in God by acting it out. I've done some crazy stuff. Can I tell you that? I'm just a little bit off. And I've done some crazy stuff in my life. I remember when my stepfather was dying. He passed on. He went home to be with Jesus. But he took his little frail hand and he put it on mine one night and said, lift me up. And when I lifted him up, he started to speak in tongues. He started to worship the Lord. And he said, son, when they tell you it's over, come in here and put your hands on my head and tell me to get up in Jesus' name. I don't even care if it doesn't work. I know God can heal. And I said, well, now I've got a conundrum here. My family's grieving. My, now I'm, what am I supposed to do? You know what I did? I waited until a moment passed and I had time and I went in. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't happen because God had a plan and I, and I trust his plan. But I'll never forget the moment where fear just left me. And suddenly I said, hey, whether it works or doesn't, it's not my problem. But I'm not going to back away and say I don't believe. I believe God this morning. And when you face a giant in your life, you've got to believe God. God. See, each of us has a valley of Elah. Oh, I feel like preaching this this morning. Some of you have, you've been serving God 30 years, but you're still fighting the same giant. Some of you have been saved for five years, but you're still fighting the same giant. Well, God sent this crazy man by to tell some of you this morning, you can't get to the next city until you kill the giant in your own backyard. You've got to kill the giants that are in the Valley of Elah before you'll ever graduate and move on. God is working while you were waiting. God is working while you were waiting. God is working while you were waiting. God is working while you are waiting. God is working while you are waiting. I can just see David sitting in the palace playing the harp. And Saul is using bad language. You go study it. You study it for yourself. Saul was a demoniac. Saul was filled with the devil. He entertained sorcerers who would bring up dead spirits. And he would entertain them. Saul was demonic. You think witches are new? Good Lord, read your Bible. Witches existed back then. It's called the Witch of Endor. And Saul tried to get all of this demonic stuff going on. And Can you imagine? Imagine David sitting there anointed of God to be king and he's looking at this demoniac. He's looking at this man raving in the palace and he's thinking to himself, why can't he just worship? Why can't he just love God? Why? Because Saul never learned at Bethlehem. Saul never got the basics right. So when God promoted him, he, it went to his head. He didn't know how to exist without showing somebody that he was king. But David's sitting there. He's seeing this and the sweet oil of anointing is still being brought to his senses and he's saying God is still working while I'm waiting God is still working while I'm waiting number four. Oh, look at that he's almost there the cave of Adullam 
I threw this in here because I like it. The city of leadership development. 1 Samuel 22.1 David therefore departed from there, escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Did, did y'all just hear what I read? Was that a good y'all, honey? That's pretty good? I'm from Maine. She's from Georgia. She educates me on Southern language, and I am doing my best, folks. I apologize if I butchered it. But David, hmm, let me see if I can get Scripture right. David was rejected by his family. Do I, my sister, help me preach. That's good right there. David was rejected. His own father didn't bring him to the party. But now all of a sudden they recognize something. Oh. All of a sudden they recognize something about David. David has become a leader. And suddenly wherever David is, they want to be. Mm, glory to God. You know, but there's a lesson to learn even in the cave of Adullam. See, David had just come off a big victory. David flees to the cave of Adullam because Saul is now hunting him down like a dog. Can you imagine that? You were anointed king. Some of us would have backslid already by this point. Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. Some of us would have backslid by this point. I'm anointed as a king as a child. I'm brought to the palace. Can you imagine him going to the palace? Dalton? This is it. This is it. This is it. I'm going to be king. Then he kills the giant and people start singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And so David is now thinking, this is it. This is my time. I'm going to be king. And then all of a sudden Saul says to Jonathan, where is David? Saul throws spears trying to get David, trying to kill David. Can you imagine how David feels? He just killed Goliath. He just brought one of the greatest victories. They got rid of the Philistines, and all of a sudden, what is he doing? He's fleeing for his very life. Listen to what he read. Look, the Bible has meaning. Open your Bible and see for yourself. Psalms 142 is the scripture he wrote while he was in the cave. A prayer when he was in the cave. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my past. In the way wherein I have walked, they privately laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand, and behold, there was no one that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto the Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise the name. The righteous shall compass about me, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. The psalm of a heartbroken future king. You say, what does that mean to me, Pastor Chad? It means be faithful when you don't understand. Oh. I'm going to preach my life for a minute. There has been times after times after time. I know I'm only 25 to you, but in the real world I'm much older. But when I was younger, I had a call of God on my life. He spoke it to me. 
And every time I would think, this is it. This is where God's going to do it. This is it. This is where God's going to do it. And then God would say, he'd move me over here. Or then, then he'd move me over here. Or I, I, I was praying and believing. I just believe, I just believe, God, that that is it for me and my wife. That that is it. And the door slams in your face. And you say, why, God? Why? Because he's trying to test you to wonder if you really trust him. Do you trust God today? The sweet relief that we have as believers in a hospital room is not just that we believe in heaven. It's not just believe that we believe in miracles and healing. It's that we have already checked in at Hotel No Doubt and we're not leaving. And there's nothing the enemy can do to get us out of our room because that room is full of assurance in Jesus and resting on his promises. I'm here to tell somebody it doesn't matter what you're going through, what cave you're in today, what cave has brought you. It's a wonder that the enemy must get so angry, Satan must get so mad that when the doctor says some bad news that a believer will put his hands up and say, Hallelujah, thank you Jesus, I trust you with this. I have confidence that you didn't bring it to me to let me down. It's an eye, you know, it just boggles the mind why we can't do that. I think it's because we didn't learn our lessons in the previous cities. You see, this cave, it's the battle you fight after you won. Sometimes the biggest struggle in your life is when you are successful. See, when you get success, suddenly you have to find ways to keep yourself motivated. Is anybody in this room this morning? David's behavior says, I only serve the Lord. It's not about me. It's, this was a place where David was tempted to kill Saul. It's not about killing Saul, but it's about winning the battle of faithfulness. I want you to leave with that question today in your life. When it comes to this city, when it comes to the city of Adullam, are you winning the battle of faithfulness? Just write that down, and this week, just think about it. Am I winning the battle of faithfulness? See, we all get to the cave in life. We'll get to those moments where we ask God, what are you doing? You have to learn, and you should write this down, to serve him in the process. I only know that raw cookie dough is good because I couldn't wait for the process for the hot ones to come out. And all the men said amen. There's a process to cooking. There's a process to getting in your car today and turning the ignition. There's a process to building a sanctuary like this. There's a process that went into building this service and the worship and the order of service and all that we do. There's processes. But what most of us do is say, God, I want the miracle. I don't care about the process. It don't work like that. The ability to wait on the Lord stems from being common. Look, look, can I just read some characters for you? Noah was told to build the ark. He remained faithful until it rained. If you read your Bible, you'll understand that nobody knew what rain was. Noah waited over a hundred years for something he had never seen. Rain. Job, God allowed him to encounter suffering that was beyond imaginable. He lost his family, his wealth, his health, and he waited perhaps years before God delivered from his calamities. Abraham was called a, a, a father of a great nation. 
It took many years and many experiences before he learned to trust in the Lord. He learned that God will keep his promises, but he had to wait. There was a few times he decided not to wait. How did that work out for all of us? Not well. Joseph, that Jennifer sang about before I preached, was told in a dream that he would be a ruler. But he was sold into slavery by his own brothers. He was falsely accused and sent to prison. You know, we skip over Joseph, but we don't understand Jewish laws. Do you realize that his own brothers kidnapped him? And do you realize that according to Jewish law, the punishment of kidnapping is death in the Old Testament? Anybody? Can you imagine the heart of Joseph when he's realizing my own brothers have broken the law of Jehovah to do this to me? But Joseph went to a pit. He was falsely accused and sent to prison, forgotten, mistreated. But he learned to wait. And he learned that waiting, God had a purpose for him being there. Moses found himself on the backside of a desert for 40 years. Some of you won't wait four minutes. Oh, I'm sorry. I just felt that boldness come down me right there. You think God invented the microwave. And that everything should be instant. Just because our society hurries up doesn't mean God is bound by their constrictions. He's eternal. And when I can't see it, he can see it. And when I don't understand it, he does understand it. And when I am so confused, I'm upset, I go to the scripture and I request like Moses, I'm going to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I don't know how salvation's coming. I don't know how redemption's coming. But I'm going to stand right here until it does. And I'm going to trust him. Why? Because he put the dream there. I didn't. He planted the seed in my heart. I didn't. He he gave me a word. I didn't. And if he did it, it'll come to pass. Oh, we just think that's Old Testament people. Really? In the New Testament, Jesus waited on God's will. Ooh. It's always good when you can bring out the Jesus card. You know? Parents, learn that in your home. Just bring out Jesus once in a while, okay? That just trumps everything. Jesus had to wait. He said, I must be about my father's business if Jesus has to wait on the will of God shouldn't we also the disciples waited in what the upper room Paul waited for three years after you realize after the conversion of Paul he still had to wait three years before he ever preached okay and nobody gets that that's the, that, let me put it in, uh, in uh, American English for you. That's the dude that wrote half the New Testament. Had to wait three years before he could ever preach. But some of us, God will put a dream in our heart and expect it tomorrow. Psalms 39.7. This should be a word of encouragement. Take it home with you. But now, O Lord, upon what am I relying? You are my only hope. Oh, glory to God. See, what you think is a bad, bad journey, what you think is a bad city, what you think is a bad place is actually God trying to get you into a place where you realize, I can't call mom, I can't call dad, I don't have my grandparents anymore, I don't know, I don't want to talk to the bishop about this, my pastor, my own pastor won't understand. And what 
what is God doing? He's got me all alone. No, he hasn't. He's just got you where he wants you. He's got you in a place where now you've got to hope in him. You've got to trust in him. He's the only one. Sometimes you have to retreat to recover. That's what David's doing. Everybody go five. I'm doing good. I'm looking at this thing. See, y'all looking at me going, he's going long. I'm looking at it. I know where I am. The city of Hebron. The city of almost there. The city of almost there. Have you ever been in that place where you're almost there? I have. Every year we have these little marathons called Run for Hope. And everyone laughs at me, and then I laugh at them when I pass them on the track. Because I'm a bit like the tortoise in the hare. I'm fat and slow, but I'm steady, baby. And I just keep running. And I just keep jogging. And how many of you know when you're jogging and you think you can't make it, you just keep looking up at the goal and you just keep almost there. I'm almost there. Just a little bit further, I can make it. I'm almost there. See, there's too many times in our faithful walk with the Lord where some of us think we see the city of Zion in sight. We see New Jerusalem on the other side of the hill, and we forget that we're still in Hebron. We can't skip Hebron and go to Jerusalem. I've got to stay here. There's something else God's trying to teach me. There's something else I need to learn. And we're almost there, but too many of us give up. When we're almost there. Second Samuel 2 Samuel 2.1, it happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. The lessons learned here are to be faithful when you're almost there. My grandfather, dairy farmer, he had like 40 head of cattle. I loved him. I loved him. He was just my life as a kid. He had those, we had one of those old tractors where the uh, this old Massey Ferguson that had a little metal tool box welded to the side of the tire. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I used to beg my parents, Mom, let me go be with Grandpa. And I would go and live at my grandparents for the summer because I loved the farm. But there's one thing I didn't love. I didn't love when Grandpa would load us up in a station wagon. See, Millennials, I'm going to pick on you for a second. I don't want to offend you, but I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm bitter. Uh, at least that's what they tell us. But we didn't have seat belts on every little inch of your vehicle. Did anybody know? Do you remember? The, anybody remember the station wagon? Do you remember the station wagon where it was like your sister got that seat and your brother got that seat and your mom said, well, you can sit in the back. Well, how many of you know the back is just one giant box? It's just one giant metal box that you're supposed to go back there and somehow be comfortable with. And yet every corner, it's like, and every corner, and you get seasick before you get home. I'd get in that station wagon with my grandfather, and we'd be headed somewhere. And like the little impatient kid I was, I would tell my grandfather, I'd say, Grandpa, we almost there. And do you know what he would say? Now, now this is going to make no sense to you maybe because it's coming from me, but, but I know what he meant. He would say, we're gaining. And then five minutes would go by, and I'd say, Gramp, are we almost there? And he said, we're gaining. Not one time did he ever get mad at me. 
And what I didn't know 40 years later is my grandfather was trying to teach me something. Even when you think you're almost there, even when you're gaining, you have to just keep moving on. Oh, somebody say amen. Too many of us quit when we're almost there. Too many of us give up when we're almost there. See, Hebron is where David was crowned king of Judah. Do you understand what I'm saying? David was promised as a king, as a child, that he would be king. And years later, he's in Hebron. Judah comes out and puts the physical crown on his head. But guess what? He's still not king yet. Because there's another tribe called Israel. And Israel doesn't want anything to do. But all of a sudden, God begins to put the pieces together. He's been living with this sense of destiny since he was a teenager. And God kept saying, wait. God kept saying, wait. God kept saying, wait. And he's almost there. But what David had learned was this. He's always working while we are waiting. He's always working while we are waiting. And some of you are looking at me. You don't know what to think of me. You look like somebody slapped you in the face with a dead rabbit. You don't know what I'm trying to tell some of you today, but I just stepped by to tell some of you who the devil is tempting. He's tempting you to give up. He's tempting you to throw. You're a new believer. You're a new believer, and you're the only one in your family that knows Jesus. And you're going home, and you're trying to lift up Jesus, and you're trying to be a good Christian, but it feels frustrating because nobody else is around you. Don't give up. You're almost there. Some of you are going through sickness this morning. Some of you are going through trials. Some of you have confusion abounds in your family. I want to tell some of you, don't give up. You're almost there. You're almost there. The city of Jerusalem is just inside. Just keep on trucking. Just keep on moving. Just keep working your way to the destiny that God has told you you would accomplish. You're almost there. Oh, I feel it in my spirit. Somebody look at your name and preach. You're almost there. You're almost there. Somebody needs to lift their hand and say, I'm almost there. I refuse to quit. I refuse to give up. I refuse to throw in the towel. I'm not going to lay here on this mat and die. I got one more city to get to. I've got one more journey that God's going to bring me through. And then will I reach my destiny? Then will I reach my promise? It's just inside. Somebody shout hallelujah. Oh, stand with me this morning. See, some of you say, why? You know what? We got a lot of people giving up when they're almost there because we forgot to talk about heaven a lot lately. We forgot to talk about the fact that in Revelations 21, he said, I see a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth was passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. There's a new kingdom coming. There's a new king coming. He's going to rule and reign, but we've got to hang in there because we're almost there. And I'll close with this. I didn't do too bad. A couple minutes over. The city of Zion. The city of dreams. Oh. 2 Samuel 5.3 Therefore the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron. I'm just going to wait till any of you notice what I just read. I've read to you about a shepherd. I read to you about a warrior. I read to you about a family man, a leader. But now, I read this verse. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. 
Oh, glory to God. See, only God's powerful enough to change your title. Only God's powerful enough to change your nature. You say, I don't know, I don't know if he can do it, Bishop Chad. I don't, I don't know if he can do it. Let me tell you something. I, I, that stepdad I told you about, he was a drunk. He was a drug addict. But he staggered into a little tiny Church of God church that was almost about to be put out of business. And when he walked in, somebody said his name in prayer. And his whole reason for going to church that day was so that when he walked in in his filthy condition, they would say, ooh, we don't want your kind here, you leave. But when he walked in, he heard somebody saying, Lord, touch Leland today. Lord, save him, redeem him. And suddenly, just a few years later, I'm standing with my stepfather in Bucksport, Maine at a VFW hall because we dreamed to start a church there. And the doors were open because there was no air conditioning. It gets hot up there. Don't believe the lies you say. It gets hot. We had, he had built a church to 120 people. And one day, I'll never forget it, when he stood at the pulpit, they had the doors open to let air, and he looked out and said, just six years ago, my mom lives at the top of the hill, and just six years ago, I was crawling up that street drunk. But look what God can do. Oh, I sat there for a minute. I sat there for a minute as I was preparing this message this week and thinking about it, and all I could think about was Leland. God can take a drunk and make him a leader and a pastor of many. But you have to hang in there. Zion's just in sight. The very definition of Zion is this, highest point. Geographically, it's the highest point. You can see it for miles. Not only that, it's the place where God said he would dwell. Don't believe what the news tells you. Open your Bible and read it for yourself. I mean, the promise of God to establish the son of David upon the throne of Zion forever is found in Psalms 89, in Psalms 29, in Psalms 35 through 37, in Psalms 132, 11 through 18. God himself said, I will live there. Only preparation brings you to this place. Revelation takes place before you ever get to the reality. Remain grateful. Stay in His presence. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. God is working while we are waiting. Say it again. God is working while we are waiting. With every hand raised in this place, begin to worship Thank you for listening to our podcast here at Life Fellowship Church in Hearst, Texas. God is doing great things at our church, and we would like for you to be a part. Join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 6.45 p.m. Get connected with us through Facebook or our website at www.lifefellowshiphearst.org. Thank you, and God bless.